Thank you so much. Good evening, everyone. Uh, what do you think about, if I was to play a game of word association with you, what comes to mind when I say the word priest? I feel a bit nervous about getting you to shout things out. But uh, anyway, okay, um, rather than shouting out, uh, people who have positive connotations, maybe? Anything positive? Nobody. Great. Excellent. And anyone with anything negative that comes to mind? Yeah, one or two, one or two negative. Oh, maybe nothing, maybe nothing. So if we were to ask people, like the average person out on the street, um, the, you know, what comes to mind when you think of the word priest, I kind of have a hunch that there might be a whole load of quite hideous, dark and not pleasant connotations with the word priest. So this evening, what I want to do is for us to reclaim the word priest and reclaim it for ourselves, for each and every one of us here. We're in this uh, series in Hebrews uh, looking at uh, what it means to have boldness and confidence, a series called Bold, and we've been looking at how we can have boldness and confidence in approaching God because Jesus has made this way for us. He is our mediator and has made a way for us to have friendship with God. So we don't need to be fearful anymore, but we can approach God with confidence and with boldness. And last week we were thinking about Jesus as being our high priest. And we thought about uh, Jesus being a priest who both sees and sympathizes. The priest who sees with laser accuracy right into the depths of our heart and those secret corners of our heart that we'd rather no one else sees. Uh, but we have a priest who sees right into the depths. And yet, because Jesus was someone who walked the earth and lived and breathed among us and was tempted in every way, he is also the priest who sympathizes and says, Come and draw close to me. Come and receive mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so Christ does not decimate us when he sees what's in the depths of our hearts lurking away, but sympathizes and welcomes us to draw close to him. So the title for Jesus, being the great high priest, is what we're going to look at this evening. Jesus has so many different titles and descriptions in the Bible. I mean, if you want to rattle through a few in your mind, and some of them are kind of things that we feel like really drawn to and really kind of comforting and really lovely, and others are just plain weird. Lamb of God, we've been singing about that earlier, Lion of Judah, Morning Star, Good Shepherd, Emmanuel, Rescuer, Redeemer, Saviour, Light of the World, Bread of Life. Each one of those titles, and we could keep going on, each one of them reveals something about the character of Christ. But they also reveal something about us and how we can relate to God as well. So this evening, we're going to think particularly about what does it mean that Jesus is called the Great High Priest? What does that mean for us living in London in 2016? What does that mean? That strange title that we might not feel particularly affectionate towards. What does it mean for us today? And we're going to look at it through two different, um, in two different ways. We're going to think about being a priest being a bold calling and being a priest is a bold responsibility. So first up, a bold calling. Verse 1, if you want to keep your Bibles open, look down. Hebrews 5, verse 1, says that every high priest is selected from among the people. 
And then verse 4, it goes on to say, no one takes that honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. Uh, Aaron was Moses' older brother. He was the first high priest in all of Israel. So to become a priest is to be chosen out of the people. You can't just be self-appointed and say, yeah, I'm going to be the high priest. And the word, in fact, the word Christ or the word Messiah, they're the same word, Greek and Hebrew. They actually mean uh, anointed one or chosen one. Chosen one, chosen out of the people. Like sort of capital C, capital O, chosen one though. Jesus is the ultimate chosen one, chosen out of the people to be our priest. Not just in a temporary role like any other priest who who has an ordinary life and a sinful life and then dies at the end of it. Chosen out of all for all eternity and chosen in perfection unlike any other high priest. We might feel okay about Jesus being the chosen one. But how do we feel about God choosing people in different parts of our lives or in different ways? My character is that I have a very, very deep set sense of uh, fairness and justice. It's so deep in me. I can't bear it when I see something unfair or unjust happening. Uh, It means that I can't even watch reality TV shows anymore. I just can't bear it that some people are going to be chosen and other people are not. I don't watch, well, obviously, I don't watch any of them anymore because it's too too painful. Uh, But the other day, we, we flicked on the telly. It was probably about three weeks ago. I don't know how far through the X Factor like thing it had got, but it got to the point when there were still like a few hundred people uh, still in X Factor. The audition, some auditions had happened, and there were like these four rooms A, B, C, and D, and they were going to say to two rooms basically, two of the rooms were going to be told, uh, "Your dreams are alive. You can you can aspire to your dreams. They're going to they're going to happen. They're going to come true." And the other two rooms were going to be told. Go home, go and lie on a bed of your broken and shattered dreams. And I just found it so awfully painful. But chosenness, if we read through the Bible, if we read uh, our Bible seriously, it's difficult to ignore the fact that God operates in a way in which he chooses people. He makes choices. What I'm going to share with you in, in the next little section about bold calling, I just have to first of all just give a little um, disclaimer. Like 90% of it comes from this book uh, by Graham Tomlin. It's a fantastic book called The Widening Circle. Uh, he's the Bishop of Kensington. And uh, just in case he ever listens to this and wants to accuse me of plagiarism, I just want to say credit Graham Tomlin. He's, he's great. The book's good. Um, what I want to share in this next section is from this book. Graham Tomlin encourages us to think about priesthood not as a narrow category of choosing, but as part of a big plan for all of God's creation. So if we go back to the creation story, go right back to the beginning uh, of creation, and what do we see? We see a universe that is beautifully made by God with all manner of different species. The world is teeming with life. And a particular species is chosen to uh, ensure the flourishing of the whole of it. Humanity is chosen. Humanity is chosen from within all of creation to have a particular role in stewarding it, uh, stewarding all the things that God has made. So uh, the chickens aren't chosen. Armadillos aren't chosen. Like orchids aren't chosen. 
voles or wallabies, volcanoes, these things are all part good things that are part of God's creation. Then none of those things are chosen to have this particular role to ensure the flourishing of the whole of creation. From within creation, human beings, people like us, are chosen to have a particular role to take care of the earth and ensure its flourishing. Well, if you skip on a little bit further, skip forward to Genesis 12, and we see a particular person. We see a man called Abraham being chosen and called by God. Uh, And God says to him, you and your family in particular, out of all the families in the earth, you're going to be the one who's going to bear my commands and carry my light. And all peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. And this family grows into 12 tribes, and then it becomes a little nation that is appointed and designated to share the light of God with the rest of human beings. Now, those people like Abraham and his family, and then the family that grows, that nation is not superior, it's not better than any other nation or people on the earth. Uh, It's full of dysfunction. It's, uh, we see in those early chapters, we see that family, there's rape, there's murder, there's deceit, there's all kinds of horribleness going on in that family. And yet, God chooses that particular people to hold his commands, to bear God's light, that it might shine and that other, enabled, another, other nations might be enabled to find God. And then that's opened up at Pentecost to be a wider group of people, the church, Those people, again, the people in the church, you and I, this people gathered here, the people in this room are no more important or valuable or superior to the people outside of this room. I hope we kind of like agree with that. Uh, There's no moral superiority amongst us here. Ordinary group of people, we are given an important role to minister to humanity, to enable the flourishing of humanity. In the first letter of Peter, he says this, you, and like, let's listen to this as though it's directed at us. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then finally, from within this kind of little subsection, uh, God chooses some people in the church to become ordained priests, Uh, uh, Phil and me, you know, we're a couple of examples, people from within the church who are quite clearly and quite obviously no better than anyone else, not morally superior in any way whatsoever, but somehow uh, some people are chosen to have a particular role to enable the flourishing of the precious people of God. So you can see, and I hope you like here, I've done the little, little science-y diagram behind me here. Uh, ooh, yeah. So uh, you can see there, there are concentric circles of priestly calling, a circle within a circle. A very few people, ordinary people there in the middle, are chosen to become ordained priests, ministering to the church. And then a larger number of people, again, no more important than anyone else, are chosen to minister to humanity, to human beings, Uh, That began with the the people of Israel, that opened up to the church, that's us here. 
And then all of humanity, the whole of humanity, is chosen by God to care for creation, to care for the world. That's the first command that God gives to people, isn't it? To look after the world. So right here, right now, you are called to be priests, okay? I hope you've understood this. You, we are all called to have a priestly role. Uh, it's not just for the few. You are all called to be part of this priesthood to minister to the world. So do you want to sit up tall? Sit up tall in your, in your priestly calling. It's a bold calling, and you have it upon your life. So what does that mean? What on earth does it mean to be a priest? What does it mean to have a priestly calling? Well, just to say it first, Jesus is the great high priest. He's not on this diagram. He's like above it. He's kind of hovering over the whole thing. He's not like a little part of it. He's over the whole thing. Jesus is the chosen one, the great high priest. And so all that we do is a little echo of what Jesus has already done and continues to do for us. Our role is really, really important, but it doesn't replace anything that Jesus has done and Jesus continues to do in the world. In our priesthood, all we're doing is echoing the great high priest who's gone before us. Well, the role of priest involves all kinds of things, but I'm just going to focus in on four things that I think are our responsibility as priests in the world, and that is to teach, pray, sacrifice and bless. Oh, they're such churchy religious words, aren't they? What I want us to do is think about what these words might mean for us in our ordinary lives, our ordinary day-to-day lives. How can you and I be a priest to the people that we meet in the office, in the school, when we go to college, wherever we're going to find ourselves in our neighborhood and our family this week? How can we be priests teaching, praying, sacrificing, and blessing in the week ahead. So I'm going to look at each one in turn. I'm going to look most of the time on the first one. So when I'm still talking about the first one, don't think I've got ages to go. We're nearly there. So to teach. One of the high priest's roles was to teach the Torah, to open up the scripture and to explain it in the context of the people who were hearing it. And then Jesus, we see, spends a lot of his time, doesn't he? Travels around teaching about the kingdom of God. Now, we uh, obviously, we do quite a bit of teaching in here. I think that's what's going on now. I think there's a bit of teaching going on here right this moment. Um, But it's not just a one-way thing. Paul says in, uh, in Corinthians, when you come together, each of you, has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. We all here can teach one another and learn from one another. It's not like a one-way road. But even more importantly, I think, uh, than that, outside the church walls, we are called to teach people, men, women, and children, about the nature of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. Now, sometimes those opportunities come about very obviously and very readily. 
Uh, we can teach with our words and we can teach with our actions. Um, I had an opportunity just a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, out of the blue really, I'm part of a, um, a book group and um, I've been in this book group for 10 years and we uh, meet together every month, a group of nine of us. And we've, you can imagine over that period of time, we've become really fast friends, really solid good friends. One of my really good friends in that group is, is an atheist and we don't really get to talk much about faith. It's not really sort of a, something that comes up in conversation very readily. But a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, we were at a party and she came up to me. She said, oh, my little girl, Maggie, um, she's been asking, like, how did the world begin? And we were talking about who we're going to ask this question to. And we thought of you. So uh, would you mind having a conversation with Maggie about how you think the world began? So uh, I'm booking in a slot to talk to this uh, four-year-old girl about the beginning of the world. Now, sometimes we have those conversations, don't we? And there's an opportunity to talk to teach our friends or our neighbours about uh, what we believe, what the Christian faith is about. Um, but I don't know about you, those don't come up very often for me. I don't often have someone approach me and say, actually, can you tell me a bit more about your faith or what you believe? We have got a very clear opportunity this week with Alpha, just to throw in there, just a little reminder. Uh, Wednesday night, 7pm at Husk, we have an opportunity to very openly and explicitly teach and share about the Christian faith. Day-to-day, -day, regular conversations, I have to say that doesn't really come up with a huge amount for me. Well, what I kind of think does come up more often is an opportunity to interpret with my friends, interpret alongside them what is going on in their lives. Helping people to see their lives with a bit more of a heavenly perspective, just in the ordinary conversations that we have about what's going on in people's lives. Yesterday, I um, took my mum for her birthday to um, a gallery opening. It was the uh, Saatchi Gallery over in uh, Chelsea. I don't go West London very often, but uh, I braved it and survived. And um, it was uh, the opening of a new exhibition. And um, I love going to art galleries. I really enjoy going to art galleries. I find it very interesting and stimulating. But I don't really know anything about the art world. I'm no expert whatsoever. And uh, we walked in. We sort of like walked through, through the, you know, into the first gallery, and we just looked around, and we just there was this kind of air of puzzlement between us. And I'm just going to show you. I've got three pictures. Uh, so this was the first one of the ones that we came across. There's a picture of a cockatoo in there, and uh, I don't know, just like four completely incongruous images, and we were like, mm, slightly sort of like chin scratching and head scratching. And then uh, another one we came across, this was like a whole massive wall just covered in pots and pans, completely huge wall, hundreds and hundreds of cooking pots. And then the last one, I think you'll enjoy this one. This was a, a stuffed horse on a beach ball. So, um, I, as we were looking at these different images, uh, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back and pay the one pound for the, for the guide at the, uh, at the reception and sort of tiptoe back and sort of actually be able to interpret some of what's going on here. And although some of the... Uh the descriptions were completely pretentious nonsense. Uh, it did, did help us to have a bit more hearing and reading from some experts in the art world helped us to interpret what some of these works of art were about. Uh, this particular one is about uh, the Iranian Revolution, believe it or not. So uh, who knew? Who knew? Not unless you read the guide. So um, I think we, we just have to flick onto the next slide because otherwise I'll, I'll giggle at the horse at some point. So... In our daily lives, 
we might not have permission to teach our friends explicitly about the Christian faith very often. But what I think we can do is help people interpret things. Now, we, we might not be experts on art, but we are experts in what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. That's our expertise, isn't it? We all know something about what it's like to, uh, to live a life following Jesus. And so we can bring that gift of interpretation into our friends' lives as they talk about the sadnesses that they're going through or the joys that they're experiencing and just point a little bit in the direction of what God might be saying in their lives. I just wonder who it is, just reflecting on that, Who is it in your life that God might be calling you to bring some interpretation to this week? Which conversations are you going to have? Where you might have an opportunity just to say that joyful thing that's happening or that difficult thing you're going through and just point them towards Christ. Don't worry, we're nearly there. Okay, these three are quick. So uh, the second one is to pray. Priests are called to pray. So the priests in the Old Testament, uh, morning and evening, they would pray for the people of Israel. And there would be a sign of this, which would be they would light incense in the temple. And this sign, people would be able to see from a long way away that the, the incense was being offered up to God. And that's a sign of the prayers rising up to God in heaven. In our reading that we had this evening, uh, we hear that Jesus, our great high priest, in verse 7, it says this, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. And in our priestly role, we are called to do the same, to pray for the different people that we encounter in our daily and ordinary lives, and to pray for them, whether sometimes it might be appropriate for us to tell them we're praying for for them in a particular situation, and see the, the, the surprise, perhaps, as they see those prayers being answered, or sometimes just to do it secretly and surreptitiously, and then the joy is all ours, isn't it, when we see God responding. Again, as we... Um, as we pray, we can be aware that actually we pray for our friends, but as part of that kind of widening circle of the priesthood, we're aware that actually Jesus, our great high priest, is the one who intercedes for us, is praying on our behalf, just as we pray for our friends, for our families. So who is it, just want you to think for a moment, who is it that you're going to encounter this week in your workplace, who God is calling you to pray in that priestly role Four. The third thing we do is we offer sacrifices. Well, the Old Testament priests had to offer sacrifices for sin, and it involved all kinds of gruesome activity of uh, cutting up animals. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks' time. Yay. And uh, maybe we'll do a little demonstration. No, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, But until Jesus steps into the picture... Jesus becomes the great high priest who makes the sacrifice, but he himself is the sacrifice as well. He's the one who kind of lays on the table ready to be sacrificed to make us right with God. And we're going to celebrate that in a moment as we uh, drink the the wine and eat the bread, the broken body and the the outpoured blood of Christ uh, in that sacrifice that he made for us. We are in no way uh, called to make sacrifices to make us right with God. That has been done once and for all. We don't need to do anything about that. But out of worship, our priestly calling means that we are to live lives sacrificially. We are living sacrifices. That's part of our calling. 
We are called sometimes to suffer rather than to always take the comfortable route in life. Out of worship, we offer ourselves as living sacrifice and we put God and we put other people before our own needs and our own desires, sometimes at great cost. So what sacrifice might you be called to make in the coming week to put other people before your own needs? And the fourth thing that we do in our priestly role is to bless. It's to bless. Abraham received the blessing of God just in order that he might bless other people. It wasn't to hang on to that blessing, but so that blessing might be channeled through him. And that first high priest, Aaron, he's instructed by God to bless the people with these words. I love this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's the great high priestly blessing. We have an opportunity to bless, not just within this confine here, within the church, but to bless outwardly as well, people beyond the walls of the church. Jesus says to his disciples, bless those who curse you, bless and do not curse. Don't just bless the people who are lovely and and friendly and sweet and kind. Bless the people who are really, really difficult and really get on your nerves. So in your priestly calling... You don't need to name names now, I've said that. Don't name names. In your priestly calling, who might you be able to bless this coming week? So whether people are ordained or not, followers of Christ are called to be a priesthood. You are called to be priests wherever God has placed you to teach and interpret the world for people around you, to pray for them continually to live in a way that is sacrificial, and to bless. And if all of that sounds like a heavy burden, my goodness, a heavy to-do list to kind of weigh on my shoulders, all we ever do is an echo of what has already been done for us. We have boldness and confidence that the source of eternal salvation, Jesus, our great high priest, has gone before us and done these things for us already. He's the one who teaches us so that we might teach others. He's the one who prays for us so we might pray for others. He's the one who's been sacrificed for us so that we might live sacrificially. And he's the one who pours out immense, endless blessing upon us so that we might be able to bless others. We're simply responding to that good news by being priests on the ground. We are called to be priests of this city in London. What a privilege, priests of the city. Just going to close with these, uh, this verse from Revelation. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up.